Welcome to Your Strata Property, the podcast for property owners looking for reliable, accurate, and bite-sized information from an experienced and authoritative source. To access previous episodes and useful strata tips, go to www.yourstrataproperty.com.au. Hello and welcome. I'm Amanda Farmer and I have with me today Rena Van Alst. Hi, Rena. Hi, Amanda. How are you? I'm doing very well. It's lovely to see you, to chat to you. This is actually the first episode we're recording since uh, my return from a little break away. So it feels like a reunion. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yes, <laughs> we are getting to the pointy end of the year, November. Now it will be Christmas before we know it. How are things for you? Busy at this time of year? Very busy, very very busy. I think it's the busiest I've been so far because when you've been away, Amanda, a lot of things are still waiting for you when you come back, like meetings, etc. Mm. And um, and now with the changes in legislation for AGMs, it's once in a in a financial year, and so therefore. A lot of junior ends are now sort of kicking in at this part of the year as well. So, yeah, very busy. <laughs> yeah, and perhaps people leave it till around this November, early December stage to uh, have their AGMs or realise, oops, we need to have our AGMs. Exactly. So the pressure is on for you, Strata Managers. Yeah, exactly. I don't envy you. <laughs> All right, well, let's jump into our challenges and our wins for this week. Rena, what has been challenging you? I had a recent meeting where – I won't go into the details of the actual works, but basically there was a motion on the agenda to approve a development application to actually replace existing windows, which need to be done. But part of the motion also related to an upgrade of the building. And in the upgrade, there were some lots that would be benefiting more than others in terms of the upgrade works. And so there was quite a bit of anxiety perhaps and concerned by some owners that why should we have to do these works? Why should some parts of the building have an upgrade and, and we don't get an upgrade and and you're gonna your lot's gonna be worth more money than my lot and all, all the things that, you know, in human nature where people think, well, why should you have something that I can't have, even though perhaps it's not possible to have it or it's um, too expensive to have it. So based on that concerns of various owners, the committee got some advice in relation to changing unit entitlement because that was the method that was purported as being an unfair mechanism for raising of funds for the works. And when people sometimes have certain thought processes and then I was just trying to say, well, yeah, we need to get advice on I'm not an expert in this area in terms of unit, changing unit entitlements. It's not very easy to change unit entitlements. Um, then I said, oh, but, you know, how come you've got all this experience? And I said, yeah, I do have a lot of experience, but in terms of <laughs> But I'm not a lawyer or unit entitlements, <laughs> tribunal um, member. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's only, I mean, I was only involved in one case and that case basically failed. So, yeah, they're quite um, rare. Mm. Yeah, they're quite rare. So to allay people's concerns and fears, the committee arranged for legal advice and basically the legal advice said, yeah, you, you can't change the unit entitlements and unit entitlements at registration are always based on the value of the, t- of the lots at the time. And the lawyer also referred to um, Section 83.2 of the Act which talks about contributions being levied by an owner's corporation in respect of each lot are payable subject to this Section 82 by the owners in shares proportional to the unit entitlements of their prospective lots. And he referred to a case 
back in, I think it was, might have been eight, nine years ago, which actually I was involved in this case as the Strata Manager, um, Strata Plan 60919, it's a reported case of the Supreme Court appeal, where an owner at the time challenged a vital that had been passed to allow for what we call a differential levy, mm. where some, some owners are levied and others are not for a certain um, benefit that only one certain lot of owners would receive and others would not receive. And in this case, it was a marketing fund and the retail lots would benefit and therefore the retail lots were the only people to pay it. And then the commercial lots that had no benefit from a marketing fund were excluded from this bylaw. Mm. So I just wanted to ask you, Amanda, in terms of your experience of unit entitlements and, you know, differential levies, what do you think about works that have to be done sometimes. Well, I mean, works that have to be done is one thing, but upgrade. When people want yeah. to enhance and, and upgrade it and improve their building so that their asset is maintained and even and they get a good return on their investments that when they want to sell. And especially for buildings in prestigious areas where everything around them is going up and the area is being gentrified, but you know, some buildings just perhaps don't want to move in that direction. Yeah. What's your experience with other schemes perhaps that you've dealt with that have had similar problems? Yeah, very good timing to be talking about this because I actually gave an advice uh, just a couple of months ago on exactly this point. It sounds, I know it's not the same building, but it sounds very similar. Uh, This building approached me and about half of the lots in the building want to add balconies. They don't have any balconies. They want to actually add balconies and they're conscious that that's a benefit to only half of them. It's quite an expensive project and they asked me uh, before they really took any first steps. How do we arrange for just the owners getting the benefit to pay for these works? And how do we arrange for their contribution going forward to be higher because their lots are worth more, they have a greater benefit. And exactly the conclusion that I think, uh, Rena, you already knew instinctively, and it sounds like Mm. you've now got legal advice to this point. There is no way to do that by way of changing unit entitlements. So Mm. I agree with the advice you have received. The fact that some lots have been upgraded and others haven't is not a reason under our legislation in New South Wales for unit entitlements to change. So that's going to be a waste of time going down that path. I believe the way to do it, and I think it's the only way, is to have a common property rights bylaw, what we used to call exclusive use or special privilege that applies to those lots who are getting the upgrade. By way of bylaw, you're setting out what it is these lots are entitled to do. And they are then charged a fee under the bylaw for having that benefit, that right to have that balcony in place. And the building that I've been working with, we're actually putting terms into the bylaw, which are along the lines that the owners corporation is responsible for overseeing the work, for choosing the contractors, uh, for making sure it has the benefit of all insurances, but the lot owners are going to pay for that work because they're the ones who are getting the benefit. And then they're going to continue to pay a fee under the bylaw to the owners corporation forevermore until the bylaw is amended or rescinded so that they are contributing on account of the benefit that they're gaining. I really think that's the only way to do it. Of course, the obvious problem being that the lot owners must consent to that bylaw. Yeah, and all the owners, especially if in your example that you're talking about for balconies, I mean, you'd have to have everyone on that side of the building agreeing to do that. And has that been able to be achieved? Yep, it has. We've actually done a phase one and we're moving into phase two. So we had one bylaw that allowed them to go ahead with the investigative work and then the phase two, now the construction phase, which is an entire 
entirely separate bylaw and deals in a bit more detail with those costs. But that was uh, the first thing to cover off, that all of those owners who are going to be contributing under the bylaw, who are getting the benefit, must provide written consent to that bylaw being yeah, made. Now, if you're in a building where owners think, oh, no, well, I want my balcony, but I don't want to pay for it or don't want to pay any more and don't want to contribute any extra costs uh, for that benefit, then they're not going to consent and mm. you're not going to be able to have that bylaw in place. So in your example, Amanda, with the ongoing fee that's going to be paid to the Owners Corporation as a result of this, so how is that calculated exactly? Uh, we haven't got to that stage yet, but the advice I've given is that they will need a valuer to come in and work out what the added value is to each of the lots and yep. base the fee on that kind of calculation. So it's not a calculation that I suggest the committee or the strata manager does or even a lawyer. It needs to be a valuer who's working out, okay, well, because you've now got balconies and again, prestigious area, nice views, that's going to be quite a benefit. And then yeah, so, this is, so this is your argument is about balconies versus no balconies and yep. the change in value of that. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. And very important point that you make there, Rena, with reference to section, was it 83? 83.2. 83.2. Our legislation does say that we cannot uh, charge levies or impose levies otherwise than in accordance with unit entitlements. So mm. we can't actually levy owners who we think uh, over time have developed better lots or have done work to make their lots better or more valuable. We can't charge them extra through levies. It can only be done through bylaws, in my view, and with their consent. Yeah. But if, for example, Amanda, let's say um, works had been done in your particular, rather than having a fee, let's say the work has been completed and then everyone agrees that the value comes in because normally the UEs are based on, on market value and the value comes in after the balconies have been put in, values each lot, recalculates the UE and says this would be the new UE had this building been a new construction. And if that went to a general meeting and that was unanimous by all the owners, could you then still go to NCAT or that, or you still can't change no, it regardless? No, even with unanimous consent, that's not a basis for revising your schedule of unit entitlements. You do need an order, but you're making a very good point. It's essentially the same exercise, but yeah. you're incorporating the additional levy yeah. Like calling it a fee into the terms of a bylaw. So you're getting the same result that these owners with the better units with the benefit are paying more each quarter, but they're doing so under a bylaw, not under a levy and not yeah. because of their unit entitlement, but because of the terms of the bylaw. And by the way, you don't call it a levy. Be very careful no. about that. You call it a fee or an additional expense and it should be separately itemised on the levy notice. So it's separate from the levy. You've got your quarterly levy is one line item and your fee under bylaw 32 is another line yeah. item. And that then also would be showed separately in the accounts as well. So Yeah. So yeah. I think that's how you do it. I'm very interested to continue working with this building I'm talking about to see that play out. But you've got to have everybody on board. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, perhaps, which means it's not doesn't work for every building. And just to ask you also, Amanda, is the so the owners corporation is still the entity that actually is engaging the contractor. So because therefore, if those owners collectively come together, it's going to be hard for them to go to a contractor and say. So if the owners corporation does it. Yeah, that's been my advice, um, that all contracts are with the owners' corporation, so it has that level of control and oversight for the works. And it has the right to enforce contracts against contractors if there is a breach or there's a needs to be a claim on insurances or things like that. It gets a little bit messy if we let the owners go off and do their own thing. Mm. But, man, what if someone doesn't pay? Like, so you've got, say, 10 owners on one side of the building. Yeah. So they've all agreed to put the balconies in, but yep. like anything, something happens and they're 
financial situation. Yeah. And they're unable to pay. So how does the Ans Corporation enforce that person's contribution. So I suggest that there's actually a requirement under the bylaw, and this is why uh, for this particular building we've done it as a phase one, phase two, that there is payment up front. There is at least a proportion of the cost of the construction, whether that's 50% or it could be 80%, there is payment up front before anything even happens. So those owners under the bylaw must pay up front to the owners' corporation what the estimated cost is going to be. Of course, if they don't pay... They've breached the bylaw and there's an enforcement process, the usual enforcement process before the tribunal for bylaw breaches. Oh, okay. That's interesting. As you would enforce any other bylaw. Yeah. The owners have agreed to this bylaw. They've provided their written consent. They get the first invoice, which is 20% deposit towards uh, stage one of the construction works. They don't pay it. You're off to the tribunal. Yeah. Okay. That's very interesting. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh, I can hear our listeners going, that sounds great, Amanda, in theory. Good luck. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's your usual tribunal headaches. Yes, I agree. But again, this is the kind of project that is only going to work in a building where everybody's on board and yeah, they exactly. realise the benefit they're getting. They've really thought about this. It's been years in the making. It's going to add so much value to their lots, to their building as a whole, and they're committed to the process. Yeah. That's fantastic. Actually. So a few yeah. ideas there, and I think we're going to see a lot more of that as people get smarter about what they can do with their strata yeah. units. Uh, values are going up, um, beautiful buildings on our foreshore, and I think we're going to see a lot more of that. So really exciting yeah. to be across Yeah, especially it. with the apartments near the water and, and facing the water, definitely. Yeah, I agree with that. So, yeah, keep me posted, man. I'll, I'll be interested to see how all that goes. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Mm. Okay, Uh, my challenge for this week, this is actually a listener question and Bev has dropped me an email and told me about her 16 lot building and she said that uh, each of the lots have security screen doors and they also have fire doors. So uh, obviously their front door is a fire door and then they have a security screen door and so that they can get some airflow, they often prop their fire doors open. And she's recently been told by her strata manager that it's not legal to prop open a fire door at any time. And she has asked us, Rena, is this true? Have you got any experience with this yes. area? I had a lot of experience in this area, actually. Great. Um, and the answer is that they can't leave the fire door open because the whole point of a fire door is to actually stop a fire spreading into the common areas and and, and the whole point is to contain the fire within the apartment. Mm. And so in another scheme that I used to manage, people wanted to do that and prop their fire doors open. And then I think we had to actually pass a bylaw or something to stop people doing that Mm. because of the fact that it actually um, was against the EPA and and fire safety regulations. And although people wanted ventilation, and I can understand that because when if you've got a balcony and you open your front door, then you get that cross ventilation. But unfortunately, we were told by the fire safety company that the fire door is designed to keep the fire contained within the apartment. That's why it has so many hours before a fire will go through it or whatever. Yep. And also to do with smoke, you know, that's why you've got to have the, the gap has to be correct so the smoke doesn't leave the apartment. So all those safety measures are then nullified if you leave the door open. Yeah, indeed. That makes sense. I do find that I get a few questions about fire and fire safety and differing points of view from fire safety professionals, if you like. And it is an area where unfortunately there seems to be a lot of grey. But in the case of fire doors open closed, the answer seems to be closed. Yeah. Also, if you look at some of those safety audits that are done in terms of common property, a lot of the times, you know, people have propped open, say, the fire stairs, Amanda, and they've put like something to keep it open. And again, 
that comes back that that fire door has to be closed, yep. you know, in the fire stairs. So again, the same sort of thing applies. It's all about containing fire within certain parts of the building and stopping them from spreading to other parts of the building. Yep, very important. And also, man, I'm not sure if it would nullify if your insurance policy. I don't know if there was a claim and it was discovered that the door had been left open. Would the insurer say, "Well, that's you know, we're going to only going to pay it, yeah. not the whole amount, but it could expose yeah, the sure. corporation to a problem in the future if there was to be a fire and and it was not contained and because the door was open and yeah, especially so. if you had on record a report from a couple yeah. of months previously that yeah. said your fire doors are propped open and they shouldn't be. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's jump into wins for this week. Rena, what has been your win? Yeah, this is actually an interesting one, Amanda, because I was chairing a meeting about a month ago and I had some difficult people that, you know, were basically talking over other people or were taking aim at some of the committee members. And so then when I tried to stop the um, person doing that and, and I stopped, you know, sometimes, you know, you've got to keep the meeting in order. He said to me, you can't tell me to stop talking. And I, and someone behind him said, yes, she can. She's the chairperson. That's the role of the chairperson. Mm. And I thought it was quite interesting because I think sometimes people don't understand what the role of the chairperson is. And it's not that you're trying to stop people from talking, but there's procedural matters that have to be followed. And, I mean, if people could talk, you know, endlessly, then, you know, you'd be there all night. And there's got to be some form of control in terms of letting people speak for and against a motion mm. and having some control. And for the fact that an owner who actually was actually a member of parliament in this case, but it was just interesting that when it comes from the floor and from other owners that the chairperson has a right to say, can I stop you there? Or, you know, you've had, you know, now we need to move on to the next and someone else wants to ha- raise a point. Can we just make sure that any point that's raised is not been raised before so we can keep the meeting to a schedule and trying to get all the motions discussed and, and give everyone a fair go? Because sometimes in meetings, Amanda, which I'm sure you've um, experienced, there are certain people that keep talking that don't allow other people to have a say. Mm. You know, the loudest people sometimes dominate and the people yeah. that do want to say something perhaps, you know, don't get the chance because, you know, these people just sometimes just hijack the meetings. Mm. So it was actually quite interesting, I thought, um, for people to understand, you know, what is the role of the chairperson? You know, and the chairperson has quite a few responsibilities um, that are noted as well in terms of, you know, ruling motions out of order, mm. um, et cetera. So I think that sometimes it's important for people to understand that, it's not really a person trying not to disenfranchise people from speaking, but to take some control of the meeting and ensure that the agenda is followed and that people stick to the items that are on the agenda. Because again, sometimes people digress from what's actually being discussed. Mm. Yes. Well, good on you and good on that uh, other member of the Owners Corporation for pointing out that as a chairperson, you are indeed entitled to call the meeting to order. Uh, Sometimes uh, chairs who are not as experienced perhaps as strata managers or who haven't been in their chairperson person role for very long. They're not quite sure of the words to use, the terminology. And back in episode 89 of the podcast, uh, I think that's a solo episode from me. I outlined some of the steps that you can take as chair, how to effectively chair a meeting and some of the words you can use and guidelines that you might want to put in place before the meeting even starts to say, uh, this is how we're going to have a smooth, efficient, productive meeting this evening. So if you're a chair or a strata manager, looking to improve your skills as a chair, perhaps pop back to that episode number 89. Hmm, That's great, Amanda. 
Okay. Well, the win that I would like to talk about this week, uh, I'm putting this up to a win. It, it's not a matter that's resolved or completed yet, but when the query came through to me from a strata manager, I was just so impressed with this building and this question that I popped it on our list to talk about as a win. I have been asked by a strata manager whether or not a strata building, an owner's corporation, can donate to charity. Oh, Yeah. That's an interesting question. I nearly fell off my chair when I when I got that question. I thought, wow, what is, I, who I, is? Yeah, I, I have never heard of a building wanting to donate to charity. Yes, never. where <laughs> is this building that wants to donate to charity? Uh, and I got a little bit more information. I'm not going to, of course, disclose the identity of the building, uh, but it is uh, a building that's connected to uh, healthcare and there, uh, because of that connection, there is a desire, a need to send some money across uh, to what is essentially a charity. But very good question from the strata manager. Can we do this? How do we do this? And it's got me looking at uh, section 73 of our act, which sets out what money is to be paid into the administrative fund and what money can be paid out of the administrative fund. And uh, our legislation is fairly strict about that, uh, perhaps stricter, I think, when it comes to the capital works fund than it is the administrative fund. Uh, Hence why I'm looking at section 73 and seeing, well, can we uh, pay out money from the admin fund to a charity uh, legally under this section? And my thoughts on this question are this, I think they would need a bylaw empowering them to do this. And if they had that bylaw in place, uh, of course, passed by special resolution, then they'd be able to send this money across to charity and noting, of course, that it's in the budget, that it's been raised, or perhaps it's a surplus. If they had a bylaw allowing them to do it, then I think they could do it. What do you think, Rena? Yeah, I mean, I was thinking about your um, inquiry manner in terms of what the Act says. And it, and our understanding has always been that the Ennis Corporation could only spend money on common property because that was, in a sense, what it was responsible to do. But when you look at the wording, I can't really see anything that would preclude a, a bylaw because it doesn't say there's no sort of clauses there that say what you cannot do, really. Um, yeah. In terms of, like, you're saying a bylaw. So what I'm thinking uh, in Section 73, Subsection 4, an owner's corporation can pay from an administrative fund payments in connection with exercising its functions under the bylaws. Now, a real question is going to be whether an owner's corporation can legally have a bylaw which grants it the function of donating to charity because I acknowledge that that is not a function that is connected yeah, conferred to on the Ants Corporation. Connected, yeah, to its management and administration of the common the property. Scheme, yeah. So good point there. We would have to look closely at the reason for the donation. I do know that this particular building, as I said, is connected to the healthcare service that is then in turn connected to the charity. So how yeah. that may impact the common property is going to be a, a crucial element. But I definitely think uh, bylaws is the avenue to be investigated if you're wanting mm. to do something like this and really looking closely at the purpose of the donation. And um, I think it's just a uh, wonderful. We we see so much dispute, conflict. At least we do, Rena. I know that we probably see you know the two percent of the worst. Uh, but yeah. it's wonderful to see a building trying to find ways to be philanthropic. 
Yeah, it's very unusual actually, Amanda, to see that because I mean, most buildings don't want to spend any money, even on, on common <laughs> property that they're supposed to repair and maintain. Exactly. Alone, um, Give it away. away. <laughs> yeah. But I've had the experience where sometimes um, buildings, let's say there's a tree on an adjoining property, not on their property, and they want to prune that tree and the adjoining owner consents on the basis that they pay for it. Mm. And, of course, when people have come to me and said to me, Irina, you know, can we do that through the owners' corporation? I say no because it's not on our land. Um, it's not actually a function of the owners' corporation in terms of its management of the scheme. Mm. And normally I think that I just advise those owners just to collectively come together and pay for it, the ones that – because usually only one side of the building will benefit from views sometimes mm. and therefore some owners at the back don't receive that benefit. And um, so, yeah, in, in this instance, they've just collectively put money together and then they've just paid for the um, adjoining tree to be trimmed. So mm, That's interesting. I wonder if you could stretch uh, the situation to say that the tree, because of its impact on the common property, so it's dropping branches or leaves or debris or whatever it is, that it's important that that tree be removed to alleviate the impact on the common property and find yeah. your common oh, property yeah, connection yeah, yeah. there. Oh, yeah, but that was it was more to restore views, Amanda. <laughs> it was views, yeah. Mm. Other views. <laughs> well, that's the, about the enjoyment of the common property and oh, my lot, isn't exactly. it? I'm such a lawyer. I agree with that. Listen that's to me. One, actually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's not, sometimes that, those enjoyments cause us grief because other owners are not happy with the fact that these owners are going to get the view and why should I pay for that? And Oh, you know. and here we are. What a wonderful, we have come full circle. Back to yes, talking about back benefits to and levies and who should, <laughs> who should pay more. Excellent. Yeah. Well, fabulous episode. I think we've tried to jam in our uh, four to six weeks of uh, not having a chat to into this one episode. So lots of good juicy stuff there. Don't yeah. forget that you can download the transcript of our episodes over at Your Strata Property com.au forward slash podcasts. Anything to add before we wrap up, Rena? Nothing at all, Amanda. Just trying to get to the end of the year. I'm looking forward to, I know I've already had a break, but, <laughs> uh, but it's <laughs> Feels just Feels like fun. a lifetime ago. Exactly. And I think um, with summer being here, it's it'll be wonderful just to have that time over Christmas and um, recharge the batteries. Yep. Sounds good. Well, I shall catch you next time, Rena. Okay, Amanda. Bye. Thank you for listening to Your Strata Property, the podcast which consistently delivers to property owners reliable and accurate information about their strata property. You can access all the information below this episode via the show notes at www.yourstrataproperty.com.au. You can also ask questions in the comments section, which Amanda will answer in her upcoming episodes. How can Amanda help you today? today?